Good morning and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It's so good to see you here today. We have so much to be grateful for, don't we? I want to preach a message this morning entitled, I thank God for all of you. I thank God for all of you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at um, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica here and what he was thankful for uh, regarding them. Um, and before we go into that, I want to remind all of you who serve on a ministry team here at Glad Tidings. Uh, how many of you wave your hands at me? You serve on a ministry team. You volunteer here at the church. Wave your hand at me. Awesome. Look at this. So, yeah, let's give them a hand. Thank you for serving. You know, we have uh, we have over 800 volunteers that make the mission possible. If you go to our website and you click on staff, you, you'll you'll see a couple dozen people, but you won't see the 800 people. See, we don't have enough memory to put everybody on the website, right? No, we do. But what we're going to do this Friday night is we are going to celebrate all of our ministry teams, all of our volunteers. So this Friday night, we are having our annual ministry team appreciation celebration. And it begins at 6 p.m. Friday night. Doors are open. 6.30, dinner begins. 7.30, we are going to have an amazing program for you. Full of surprises, I guarantee. It's going to be so much fun. We want to honor our servants here in the house. So this Friday night, uh, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. And I want to just dedicate this message this morning to all of our, all of our volunteers here at Glad Tidings. The message again is entitled, I thank God for all of you. Paul, Silas and Timothy planted a church in Macedonia in the largest city in Macedonia called Thessalonica. This city was about 200 to 300,000 people. It was a it was a metropolitan area back in the day. And Paul, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and using the brain God gave him, decided, let's go into let's go into a metro area. Let's go to an area um, of lots of people because God loves lots of people. Right. And let's go plant a church there. And he began by going into the Jewish synagogue there and began to reason with the uh, Jews there. He began to reason with them that Jesus Christ had to suffer and that he rose three days later. And the Bible says that a few prominent men and not a few prominent women became followers of Jesus. Ladies, hear me out this morning. God is looking for some prominent women in the kingdom. And this church began with this small, uh, small um, following um, of these, these Jewish men and women. Uh, and that's where it all began. And uh, what, by, by the way, uh, this past summer, our MNA youth ministry uh, group of students had the opportunity to actually stand in the place where Paul reasoned with the Jews. They actually stood in the place there in Macedonia. And so that's very, very cool. And so this morning, now we are at that place. And Paul is now writing a letter to the church that he, Silas, and Timothy planted. And he gives them these words. And he says this. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. 
We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And they tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Isn't that a great passage right there? Man, we could just clap our hands, amen, and go home and feel blessed already. Okay, go go home now, you know, (laughs) right? But I want us to look at this a little closer. And I want us to look at the first three verses. And I want us to look to begin with at his greeting to them. Paul says this, he says, grace and peace to you. He not only says it here, he says it in almost all of the letters that he writes in the New Testament. He begins with this this greeting, grace and peace to you. And many times from God, our father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we may think, well, that's just a simple, nice greeting they used back in the day. Just like we might say today, hey, peace out, dude. Right. Peace out. Well, this greeting is a lot different than peace out. I guarantee you that. And he begins with this. He begins with this word grace. And he wants the church to be reminded that everything that they have received, they have received not because of what they have done, but because of the grace of God. And he starts with it. He's saying grace to you. God's unmerited favor. God's God's love and blessing on you. And we know that grace. We know that grace is G-R-A-C-E. Right? God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace to us is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. That we are saved by grace. Not by works. No. Not by works so that no man can boast. But this grace is a gift from God. And he begins writing this letter, telling the church, reminding them about the gift of God that they have received. This gift of grace. And then he says this. He says, not only grace to you, he says, peace to you. Peace was a common greeting back in the day and still is in many Jewish circles today. Shalom, they would say. Shalom, peace to you. And this word peace is significant. What Paul was saying was he was saying, may you experience the total well-being of what Christ provided for you on the cross. May you experience the total benefits of the cross in your life. 
Peace, shalom, not just peace out, dude. This meant a lot more than that. Peace is not the, it's not the absence of conflict. Don't misunderstand that, brother or sister. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace, peace is the presence of God in the midst of conflict. So he is saying to this church that is going through tremendous suffering, he's saying, you can still have peace. No matter what you're going through, you can be, you can be uh, in your heart, you can be well. Your mind and your heart and your emotions can be at rest. Listen, you can have the peace of God no matter what you're going through. You can have God's peace no matter what this nation is going through. So he begins with this great greeting, grace and peace to you. And Paul almost begins his letters with this greeting and in this order. Grace first, peace second. Why is that significant? What is God trying to tell us through this simple little greeting? He's trying to help us understand a theological truth. And the truth is this. The grace of God comes before the peace of God. Before you can have the peace of God and be at peace with God, you have to first experience the grace of God. Are you with me this morning? The peace of God can only settle where the grace of God has paved the way. Where there's no grace, there's no peace. Peace can only be found in our nation's journey towards racial reconciliation when our nation finds grace. Because grace comes before peace. Don't go searching for the peace of God. Find the grace of God. And when you receive the grace of God, you'll also have the peace of God. And so when I pray for reconciliation, I pray first for spiritual reconciliation before racial reconciliation. Because grace reconciles us first to God and brings us at peace with God. And then grace also reconciles us to one another and brings peace towards one another. So first grace. Listen, those who have encountered the grace of God are the peacemakers in the kingdom. You can't give any peace unless you have first received grace. You see, here's how it works. We need we want to be at peace with people who are not like us, right? Isn't that kind of what the big message is? We just want peace, right? Well, think about this for a moment. How did we come to peace with God? We encountered a revelation of the grace of God. God, who is unlike us, who is holy, became one of us to die for all of us, right? So that we could be reconciled to God and be at peace with God. And God modeled that grace to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 2, moving ahead, Paul says this. And actually, before we move ahead, let me just pause for a moment right here. Let's go back to grace and peace for a moment. Because some of you are here this morning and you, are not, you, you do not have the peace of God ruling your heart. You are troubled in your spirit. And the reason you're troubled in your spirit is because you are not right with God. You are here this morning... Uh, you may be a visitor, you may be a guest, maybe your family brought you, it's a holiday weekend, but for whatever reason you're here, and I'll tell you what the reason is, the reason you're here today is because you need to be at peace with God. 
You're far from God, but you can be drawn near to him. And you're here this morning. And the way to get the grace of God or the, the peace of God is to experience the grace, the unmerited favor of God. Let me just encourage you this morning. For it is by grace you can be saved this morning. It's not by your works. Maybe all your life you have been working and striving and you're on the treadmill of performance and you are, you are doing the best you can to be right with God. You're here maybe and, and you say, you know, Pastor, I've been working so hard to get to heaven. I've been working so hard to earn God's approval. I've been working so hard to earn God's favor. Can I tell you something this morning? God's not interested in your works. He's interested in his works. He's not interested in what you can do for him this morning. He's interested in what Jesus Christ already did 2,000 years ago on that cross. That's what he's interested in. That's what he's looking at. He's not looking at your condition and going, well, she's a good girl or she's a good guy. No, he's looking at Jesus. And he's looking at you and he's going, what is this person, man or woman, going to do with Jesus today? What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to receive the grace that comes through what he did for you on the cross? Pastor, I'd like to receive that forgiveness. I'd like to receive that grace. How do I do it? We are saved by grace through faith. You believe that Jesus took your place on that cross. You believe that you don't deserve heaven. You believe you deserve the death that he died. But you say, you know what? I'm going to receive by faith today that forgiveness for me. I'm going to receive by faith today that grace. I'm going to receive that new life today. I want you to bow your heads with me right now in the service. In the middle of this message, I'm going to ask the question. If you're far from God today, and you know you are, you're not at peace with God today. You're not right with God today. But you want to be. I want you to raise your hand, and I'm going to pray with you right where you're at. Raise your hand. And when you do, look at me this morning. I see your hand. God bless you. You're not at peace with God. You're not right with God. Raise your hand. God bless you. Anybody else today over here? Thank you. Who else? Maybe in the balcony. You know, you're not right with God. Bless you over here. Thank you. And over here as well. You came to church today not to hear a good message, not to hear some good songs. You came today to experience the grace of God, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God is coming your way. God's going to forgive you right now. I want you to bow your heads with me, everybody. Those of you who raise your hand, pray this in your heart to God. Pray this in your heart. Mean it with all your heart. God, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve grace, but I need it today. And I believe it's for me today. I ask you, God, to forgive and wipe away all of my sin. I ask you, God, to make me right with you through what Jesus did on the cross. I receive you today as my Lord. I receive you today as my Savior. My life is no longer mine. My life is now in your hands and I belong to you. I am your son. I am your daughter today. Moving forward in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Now, can we do this? Can we do what the angels are doing in heaven right now? They're rejoicing over those who just got saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful that God decided to just pause this message to invite you to experience grace today. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse number two. Now, Paul says this. He says, we always thank God. We always thank God. How many of you know the right time to thank God is always? How many of you know there's always something to always thank God for? 
Let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you thanked God? How many of you know you don't have to wait till Thanksgiving 2017 to thank God? How many of you know every day you can wake up and find something to thank God for? And Paul, while he's praying and while he's remembering this church, he begins to thank God for them. He goes, in my prayers, I begin to thank God for you. Always thanking God for you. And he says this, he says, while praying, verse number three, we remember before our God, the Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, there's three things I'm remembering as I'm praying for you, church. I remember your work, your labor, and your endurance. First, he says, I remember your work produced by faith. And I'm thinking right now of over the 800 volunteers we have that make our mission possible. And I'm remembering right now their work that is inspired by faith. Can I tell you this morning that people who have genuine faith in God are the hardest working people on the planet. They're not sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. They're not waiting around waiting for God to do something. They're doing exactly what he said. They're going and they're doing. They're working hard. They're not lazy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And Paul is recognizing that the faith that they have is a working faith. Faith works. I understand that it's faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It's always followed by works. It's always followed by works. And, and James said this, he said, I'll show you my faith. By this card I filled out at the altar at Glad Tidings. I'll show you my faith, he said, by what I do, by what I do. Listen, there, there is, this church is, they're doing the work. They're doing, most of them are doing the work. And here's what Paul says. He says it in the first letter and the second letter. And, and there's one little verse in each letter. He says, okay, but warn those who are idle. So he pauses at one point and he says, even though most everybody's working like crazy, there are some that are idle. And he says, warn those that are idle and tell them to get busy doing the work of the kingdom. In the Walt translation, um, Pastor Walt translation of the Bible, it says, um, encourage them to serve on a ministry team. So it says. Your faith has action to it. The second thing that he remembers, he says, your labor. I remember your labor prompted by love. Labor is different than work. Labor is going the extra mile in the work. See, when you really love someone, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You go the extra mile for them. No strings attached, right? You're not waiting for the thank you. You're not waiting for the check. You're not waiting for the card. You're not waiting for the, I'll scratch my back, you, uh, you scratch mine, I'll scratch yours thing. No, it's a labor of love, we call it. No strings attached. And Paul recognizes that this church, they are, they are laboring in the work of God. And it's prompted, it's motivated by love. It's like the expectant mother who goes into hard labor. She's pushing, she's pushing with, with everything that she has. And the pain she experiences is soon replaced with the joy of a new life. She's laboring. Why? Because she loves the new life that comes as a result of it. And the reason why we, we labor, the reason we go the extra mile in the kingdom is because we love the fact that just a half a dozen people in this service five minutes ago got saved. We labor because there's new life at the end of the labor. 
And Paul's saying, I love that about you. I remember how you labor in the kingdom. And the third thing he says is he says, I remember your endurance inspired by hope. I love that word endurance. Endurance requires courage that never gives up in the face of suffering. Endurance means I don't complain and I don't blame and I don't wallow in self-pity, self-pity and go, where's everybody else? I'm the only one working hard. Endurance means I stick to my commitment. I go beyond my commitment even when it hurts. I get up early and I get here before everybody else and I leave when everybody else is is already gone. It, it, It endures to the end. And endurance is inspired, Paul says, by our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this morning that that hope is not based on what's happened in the past. Hope is not based on what's going on right now. Hope is based on the future. Hope is a future hope. Hope has a, a, a better tomorrow. Hope is looking forward to something. And Paul is saying, he's saying the reason that you endure so well is because of the hope that you have this future hope out there. Paul is not promising them their best life now. Paul is promising them their best life later in heaven. Listen, their hope is not in the new house that they're building. Their hope is not in the job that they're trying to secure. Their hope is not in those things. They don't have those things. This church is going through suffering. You can read in Acts chapter 16 and 17, this church is facing severe persecution. Christianity is illegal. There's no religious freedom. There's no Bill of Rights. There's no First Amendment. There's none of that. What is there? There's their hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And because of that, I'm going to endure. I'm going to endure. I'm going to endure. If he can endure on the cross for me, I can endure for him. And they're enduring and they're pushing and they're working and they're laboring and they're not giving up. And it's because of where they have their hope. Where they have their hope. I like to ask people the question. What are you looking forward to in life? And a lot of times I'll hear. Well I'm getting married in six months. Or you know. um, This football season I'm really excited about. Looking forward to. And those are good things. And things God blesses us with. But you know what I rarely hear. I rarely hear people say. Man I just can't hope. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I'm so looking forward to Jesus to come back to deliver me up out of this mess. I just can't wait to get out of it. I just can't wait for him to return. I'm enduring for that day. I hardly hear that. And I think it's because we have our, our, what what my wife calls our, our first world problems that we face. You know what a first world problem is? A first world problem is when you're on your way to work and you don't hit every traffic light green. That's a first world problem. That's suffering in Omaha, Nebraska. Or when the traffic is backed up on the Dodge Expressway. Now we're under persecution. See, first world problem. My son came home the other day and um, he said to he said to Carrie, he said uh, his mother, he said, Mom, um, I hate it when I hit all the traffic lights red. She's like, red, what? Yeah, I hate it when I hit all the traffic lights red because I never get a break to check my text if I hit all the lights green. First world problem. First world problem, right? See, if you were to ask that question, what are you looking forward to? If you were to ask that to a Muslim background believer who's just disowned by his or her own family, they would probably say they're looking forward to Jesus returning. And if you were to ask that question to one of these 
these uh, Thessalonian believers, you would have found their answer the same. They're looking forward to Jesus coming back. I think we need to suck it up. That's what it means to endure in today's language. Suck it up. So when we have those first world problems, if you will, we just go, you know what? I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Paul said this, he said, your work and your labor and your endurance, they're, they're fueled by three things. They're fueled by faith, by hope, and by love. All three of those things are mentioned together in that triad, faith, hope, and love, are mentioned over nine times together in the New Testament. Why would God put those three together over nine times in the New Testament? How many of you know, when God does that, when there's that repetition, He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell us something. And I believe what He's trying to sell us is simply that when we are saved, the three things that we did not have before, now we do have. And what do we have when we are saved? We have faith. We have hope and we have love. So before we were saved, our attitude towards God was unbelief, but now it's faith. Our attitude towards our future was hopelessness. Now it's hope. Our attitude towards one another was prejudice. Now it's love. Are you with me this morning? Can I tell you the biggest lie that I think the devil tells Christians today is you can have your faith and you can have your hope, but don't love everybody. Just love the people who are like you. That's the biggest lie that the enemy tells believers. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your hope. But just love the people who are like you. Right? And we don't want that. Not here at Glad Tidings. We are good news for all people. We chase that out in the name of Jesus. None of that's going on here. And Jesus chased it out too. He addressed that lie. And he said this in Matthew 5, 46. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors or are not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. And then he said, be perfect. Be perfect in what? And how you love. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I love the fact that I have a faith in God. I love the fact that I have a hope in a future. I also love the fact that God has given me a love for everybody. And Paul had that love too. And Paul said this, I thank God for all of you. All of you. I want you to hear what Bishop T.D. Jake says on this subject of love and racial reconciliation. Watch this short video. About 15 years ago, you and I both got invited to a meeting where we spent the better part of a day with some pretty uh, high officials trying to figure out how to bring about racial reconciliation once and for all, remember that? Right, right. We were going to fix it. <laughs> we were going to fix it that yep. day. Then I think of where we are 15 years later, and it feels in some ways, not in every way, but it feels like in some ways it's worse. Mm-hmm. What part of the racial reconciliation mission or responsibility do you feel, do you carry, do you sense in your spirit as you're leading all of these ventures in the United States and all around the world. What's your part in the racial reconciliation puzzle? Let me start with this. The reason we physically get a fever is that the body is telling us that something is wrong. The reason we have pain as much as it hurts, it's a gift 
that causes us to draw attention to an area that we would not know that there was a problem. As horrendous and as atrocious as the issues are that are surfacing in our country right now, in some ways they are a blessing, like pain, like swelling, like a fever. It is drawing our attention to things that we drive by without notice. Communities that we don't see because we don't live in. Issues that we don't feel because we don't know those people. And eventually anything you ignore long enough, a problem that you ignore long enough, will show up in a symptom that hurts you so that it can help you. America is being forced into a conversation that we should have had years ago. And the conversation is a lot more complex than do black people like white people, do white people like black people, do brown people like white people. It's bigger than that. We have, through a series of issues that are race-related and not race-related, created pockets of infection through which people are trapped in and they cannot escape. Systemic racism isn't about whether you lack the color of somebody or not. It is whether you have included them in the strategy for success. Okay. A lot of people have been left out of the strategy for success. That is poor whites, underserved blacks and underserved browns. And they are erupting in passionate pain in a way that we can no longer ignore because we had a strategy for us but we didn't include them in the strategy of possibilities. Our American dream has become their American nightmare. And it's not just about color, that we do have a racial problem in this country. And we probably always will to a degree. But the reason we have the swelling is that when people can't eat and they can't get a job and they can't get opportunities, uh, they swell to the point that they can no longer be ignored. Women did it. Uh, slavery caused it. Throughout history, we've had moments of swelling and pain in order to get the attention of the country that this is something that will not be ignored. Amen. Appreciate those words. Let me tell you how this ties in with with this church in Thessalonica. This church in Thessalonica was a multicultural church. It was in a um, large metropolitan area. And uh, although the church... Uh, started with some Jewish um, Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was both Jews and Gentiles coming together. Two very, very different cultures coming together. One culture very religious, the other culture very pagan. And here they're coming together, right? And you would expect those cultures to collide and to clash. But instead they began to collaborate. And it was because they were under one banner. It wasn't the banner of, of race or it wasn't the banner of color. It wasn't the banner of culture. It was the banner of Christ. They were under this banner. And Paul commended them for learning how to love one another. He does it in the first few verses of the first chapter in first Thessalonians, and he does it in the first couple verses of the second uh, letter to uh, called second Thessalonians. And I want you to see this second Thessalonians one, three second letter he's writing. He brings it up again. He goes, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Now watch what happens when your faith is growing more and more and the love of and the love all you have for one another is increasing. 
What's going on here is what, in T.D. Jake's terms, they were including everyone in the strategy for success. They were doing so well at loving one another that Paul noticed it. Not only did Paul notice it, but, but the people all around began to notice that this church was very good at the faith part, at the hope part, but also at the love part. Are you with me this morning? Can I tell you this morning, the easiest way to know if a person is born again is by how they treat people who are not like them. Listen, when you drive by a business and they have a gay flag presented in front of their business, please don't shun that business. Why would you do that? Why do we expect non-Christians to act like Christians? How can you expect somebody to live the life of Jesus that doesn't have the life of Jesus? You're the life of Jesus. They need to see it. They need to hear it. They need to feel it. Don't run from it. Don't run from our culture. Run to our culture. Engage with our culture. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He ate with them. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus told the church, love your neighbor as yourself. They said, well, let's find out who our neighbor is. So they said, who is our neighbor? So he told them this parable of of the Good Samaritan. And and in the story, Jesus was very careful to point out that the person who was offering the help did not look like the person who was down on the ground. He was saying, reach out to people who are not like you. It's natural to help people that look like you, that come from where you come from. But we need to begin to recognize the brotherhood of of all men, that all men and all women are created equal, are created by God and created for God. This whole idea of racism and prejudice has been around not just for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Cain and Abel got it all going, didn't they? It's been around forever. I want to take you back to 1863. The United States was in the depths of the Civil War and the nation was deeply divided. President Abraham Lincoln, he unified the nation by establishing an annual observance to give thanks. Listen, President Lincoln hoped the Thanksgiving celebration would help bring together a country that was torn apart by this issue of slavery. So desperate. Uh, or excuse me, so despite the death and the devastation of the Battle of Gettysburg, just three months earlier, listen to this, Lincoln wrote these words, and I think we have them on the screen. He said this, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are so sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in heaven. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged. 
and fervently implore the imposition, the, the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility and union. The challenge from our 16th president to thank God for what we have. Amen. And to implore God for what we strive to have is so timeless and true today. And I say, may the church in America and the people who call this land home come to the place where we can all say, like the Apostle Paul, I thank God for all of you. Amen. Amen. As I wrap up this message this morning, I want to bring it to a very practical close. And I want to ask the question, how can you love people who are different than you? And how can you love people who are far from God? And I would say this, you have to get into their lives. You have to get into their lives. I want to tell you a story about Tony Campolo, a time that he went to Hawaii. I want you to listen to this. He went to visit Hawaii on a speaking engagement. Tony Campolo is a sociologist at the time. He was, a, um, he was working at the Eastern College in, Pencil, in Philadelphia, excuse me. And now he is in Hawaii, and his body is still on Eastern time. And so he wanders into a diner at 3 a.m. in the morning. The only other customers in the diner were some prostitutes who were finishing up for the night. And one of them named Agnes mentioned that tomorrow was her birthday and that she had never had a birthday party in her entire life. So after the prostitutes left, Tony found out from Harry, the guy behind the counter, that they came into the diner every morning at 3 a.m. So Tony Campolo asked if he could come back the next night and throw a party for Agnes. And Harry agreed, sure, go for it. Just make sure you bring a cake. So here's Tony Campolo's account of what happened the next morning. At 2.30 the next morning, he writes, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some paper decorations at the store. I had made a sign out of a big piece of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. The word must have gotten out on the street that night because at 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was there. <laughs> Wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. (laughs) At 3.30, the door to the diner swung open and in came Agnes with her friend. I had everybody ready, he said, and when they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday! He said, Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted. Her mouth fell open, her legs buckled, and when we finished singing, her eyes moistened. And when the cake was carried out, then she began to cry. Agnes had never had a birthday party before. And strangely enough, she had asked that if she could take the cake home with her that night instead of eating it there with her friends. She carried the cake out the door like it was the Holy Grail. And we stood there motionless, a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we all pray? (laughs) How many of you know when you don't know what to do, you pray? (laughs) And looking back on it now, he says, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. And I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. And when I finished 
praying, Harry leaned over the counter and he said with a trace of irritation, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited for a moment and almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no such thing as a church like that. But if there was, I would go to it. I mean, no, that's the kind of church Jesus wants to build in Omaha, Nebraska. That's the kind of church he's building. He's looking for a church that will become a friend to sinners. He's looking for a church that will that will host birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Glad Tidings Church is 80 years old this year. And as I mentioned last week, I believe what God wants to do over the next eight years in terms of a harvest of souls is going to surpass the last 80 years combined. It's not a goal of mine. It's not a dream of mine. It's not a vision of mine. It's a word from God. God gave me last Sunday morning at eight o'clock in the middle of a message. I had one gentleman ask me this morning, when did you come up with that? I said, I didn't come up with that. It came to me at eight at the eight o'clock service last Sunday. Can I tell you the greatest revelation happens early in the morning? Some of you are like. And I was just preaching like I am now. And it just came out of me. And it was like a pronouncement. And I said, I said, I have something to say, something prophetic over glad tidings that God is saying. Over the next eight years, God wants to bring a harvest of souls that's greater than the last 80 years combined. And I believe that God is saying that. I believe that with all my heart. But guess what? God's not going to do it. He'll save them, but he won't bring them. He'll save them, but he won't invite them. Right? He was a friend of sinners. And now he says, now you go and do likewise. Go find somebody who doesn't look like you. Go find somebody who's far from God and reach out to them. And so our challenge over this Christmas season, which is a harvest season in the kingdom, Our challenge is to take 10 invitations, at least 10, thrill of hope invitations, invite at least 10 people, invite at least 10 people, but go after the one, go after the one. Like Jesus said, we leave the 99, we go after the one, go after the person you used to be, go after the Agnes, go after the Harry's. How many of you know I'm talking about? Somebody came after you. Somebody went after you. Listen, God through you is chasing people. The Holy Spirit through you is chasing people. And there are people in your life that God is wanting to come into the kingdom. We have a beautiful opportunity over three weekends in December. How do I invite people? I'm so nervous, Pastor. Just just talk to them. Just talk to them. Talk to them about hope. A lot of people are feeling hopeless these days. That's why I'm so excited about what's happening at Glad Tidings. We are having what's called a thrill of hope. Christmas production over over three weekends. The music's incredible. You can't miss it, right? You're going to hear stories about people who have gone from this place of hopelessness to this place of hope. pastor's going to preach a short little message. You don't have to tell him that. Surprise him. Short little message, right? Short message and the same invitation every week. Different message, different music each week, 
Same invitation. And I believe God is going to bring us a harvest of souls. God is searching for a church that has a heart for lost people. And we're going to be that church. And we're just believing for a big harvest. Here's the deal. Come January 1, first Sunday in the new year, our goal is to see 100 people baptized that day. We want to begin the new year with new life. Wouldn't it be amazing? Man, when did you? I got baptized on January 1, 2017. I started the year right with God. I started the year by identifying with Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. So our goal is 100. I told Pastor Raphael, I said, listen, if we only get to 99, we're baptizing you. I don't care if you've been baptized before. We're doing it again. <laughs> you understand my heart. I'm, I'm, I might be serious. You better be ready. That none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So a thrill of hope is not about you. It's not for you to come and listen to the great music and enjoy that. And we want you to. But man, let's go out. Let's compel them to come in. Let's see new life coming in the kingdom. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for, for those half dozen people or so that raised their hands and prayed earlier today. God, thank you that we are saved and they are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one, so that none of us can boast. God, I pray that as we move into this Christmas season, God, that you would help us to see what you see. God, help us to not see color. Help us to not see culture. Help us to see souls that are lost, God. Help us to see hurting and hopeless people, God. Lord, all we can do is invite them and share the gospel. God, only you can save them. Only you can change them, God, from the inside out. God, we ask for at least a hundred miracles, a hundred new lives to come into the kingdom, God, during this Christmas season. And God, we would love it if you multiplied that. God, we say yes. We want to be that house. We want to be that church that's good news for all people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer workers, please come if you would. If you would like prayer this morning, we invite you to come. Uh, those of you who raised your hands earlier, you got saved, you prayed that prayer with pastor, please tell one of our prayer workers, I prayed that prayer with pastor today. Would you do that? God bless you today.